And then I pray for this morning. Lord, as we look at grief and loss and embracing it and coming to terms with it, I pray that your grace would be upon this and upon us. And life and freedom would come through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're looking at embracing grieving and loss. Embracing it, not kicking against it, not pretending it never happened, but actually being okay with it. So would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2? And we're going to just look at the, the journey of why do we even have to grieve? Why do we even have to face loss um, as human beings at the moment? And we're going to go back right to the beginning of the Bible, to the beginning of the story, to place us in a context of why grace and grief, um, grace is needed in our grieving processes, why we don't have to abandon or pretend like it, we're not grieving or we can come face to face, like I said, towards loss. So in the beginning, so this is Genesis 2. If you, you don't even have to be in church to know that Genesis is the beginning of all creation. We've, we've, if you're not even a Christian this morning, you know that, like you've heard, that there's the Christians or the church believes that God created heaven and earth, etc. So we catch we, in chapter 2, verse 5, if you'd read with me. And then we're going to just stick, you can keep, keep that open in your Bible if you've got a Bible with you. Um, we're going to stick in those few chapters, but we're going to fast forward a few verses every now and then. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field was yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Can you imagine what that looked like? Rain wasn't falling down, and there was a mist coming up, like a, a mist or a fog, I suppose, mist. Then the Lord formed the man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted the garden of Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he, whom he formed. Fast forward to verse 15, if you will. The Lord looked, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That's a whole new, new sermon, that even before sin, we were designed to work and keep and maintain. Um, work is not a sin. It's not punishment. I know for many of us, work is a punishment. But that's a whole different sermon story we're going to do. But literally, that he placed man in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And Eden literally meant delight, perfect, shalom, peace. It was, it was paradise. Or you can use all those good words for Eden. This is what happened. And this is what God had mind for the world. This was God's intention, that we would live in this perfect serenity, delight in Him, in peace and shalom, in paradise, working and, and doing our bit, being productive and enjoying His presence. This is God's intention for humankind. Don't we all long for those days? And isn't there something in you that's going, oh, to be back in those days, what would we pay? What would we give? Verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat. Of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you, surely, you shall surely die. Eat of anything. You can have everything, but not that one thing. If you eat that, you'll die. Fast forward to verse 22 with me, if you will. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like, like one of us. What's happened? We all know what happened in those other verses. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of, of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. The very dust that he was made of, now he has to go work. Verse 24, He drove out the man 
at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword that turned away to God, sorry, turned every way to God the way to the tree of life. So God, what's happened here? God has now expelled man out of the Garden of Eden to work in the dust, the same dust that they were made, and then he placed an angel at the gate with a flaming sword saying, you're not coming back into paradise. This is the, the breaking of the damn wall, if it's like evil and pain is unleashed into the world because of Adam and Eve eating of that forbidden fruit, becoming like God, knowing the difference. The pain of, and the distance and the brokenness between our relations with God as human beings became a very, very real thing. Very real, like I want to go back to where paradise, where God is in Eden. I can't go back because there's an angel with a flaming sword that will take me out if I go near that, that gate. But it's also broken down our relationships. It's started blaming. We see Cain and Abel happening in Genesis. And it's almost like after this moment, all the wheels come off. I don't know if you've ever seen that, like the old cowboy movies, when they're, when they're going over rough terrain, and the next thing, the one wagon wheel goes, then the next wagon wheel goes. Before you know it, all the wheels come off it. And we have the sense here that everything is just teetering and going into destruction, into chaos. Everything is messed up. This paradise is no more. This is not what God intended. The word that would sum up what's happening in Genesis is the word death. Death to paradise. Death to Eden, death to perfect harmony with God, death to perfect harmony with one another, death to human's nature and human's harmony with nature and the world we live in. You see, you and I were made for Eden. God had every intention in the beginning to, for us to live in Eden with Him. But we live today in this world. We live in the post-Eden world. We live outside that gate. We, we, this is not Eden. And I don't have to tell you why this is not Eden. This is not paradise. This is not peace and shalom. This is not abundance. And because we, we're born into this world, we also live with the disappointment of this. See, every single human being has a latent memory and longing for Eden. There's, in every human being, we long to be in Eden. We, we desire for world peace. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if all world leaders tomorrow stop fighting and, and we put down our weapons? We, we love or we pray for the desire. We have a desire to end corruption. Yes, Amen. I'm saving the planet. We want to do everything to, to, to protect and to save our planet. Something deep in us says that it's not how the world is supposed to be. Isn't that true? It doesn't take much for you now to go, this is not the way God intended the world to be. According to Genesis, we all experience loss. And today we're talking about how do we, or the question is, how do you deal with loss? How do you grieve? The question is, have you grieved the loss of what you have hoped for in this life? Have you thoroughly, properly grieved before God the loss? Where, whether you had it easy in life or hard in life, every single person in this room have experienced it. Maybe it's your parents that got divorced and you haven't properly processed that. Or your own divorce. Families break down. Sing, maybe it's your singleness. Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe it's your marriage that's breaking up and you don't know how to fix. Or it's dreams and goals that you had. And, and over the last season, especially over the last 18 months, so many dreams and hopes we've just... We've lost it. It's, it's no longer there. Maybe it's wounds from your past that, that you still haven't faced thoroughly or mistakes that you've made or decisions that you've made or consequences and choices that you've made that you just, that's catching up with you. Maybe it's your friends all leaving for Australia or New Zealand or for Canada. Maybe your dog's died and has lost. Maybe your kids are leaving home or relationships with your kids aren't as they used to be. 
Can you see we all, every one of us in this room have experienced loss? And not just because, it is, this is a pre-COVID thing. This is not just a COVID thing. I think COVID has just placed an exclamation mark on how quickly we, or how, how desperately we need to grieve properly and deal with those losses. Maybe it's a silly loss like, like Arno suffers every, every day after he plays touch rugby when his knees sore and it's age and the youngsters are foster and I go home and I'm going, I could do that yesterday, I can't do that anymore and having to deal with that. See, it's very ordinary in human life to face these losses. And loss is part of our lives. But how does God feel about loss? Have you ever wondered, how does God feel what happened in Eden, or what happened at the, at the tree with Adam and Eve? How did God feel about the man and the woman that He designed and made to, to, to live in paradise with Him? How, does God, how did God respond? Well, Genesis 6 tells us how God feels about this loss. Verse 5, six, Genesis 6 verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Like I said, the wheels came off and, and from Cain to Abel to brothers turning to against brothers. And, the, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. This is speaking about the heart of man post-Eden. Listen to verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. And it grieved him to his heart. Our holy, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing God, Scripture says that he regretted doing something. And then Scripture says that he grieved. He grieved to, it grieved him to his heart that God, this holy, perfect God, experienced grief and grieved around this. And it grieved him to his heart, to his innermost being. Grieving properly actually is more like God than we'd like to admit or think. Allowing yourself and going through the process of proper grief and grieving is almost more godly than avoiding it. And we're going to see that today. God is grieving loss in our world. Um, Bernard Anderson says that, says, writes this, he says, Laments far outnumber any cry of any song or psalmster. Half to two-thirds of the 150 psalms in Scripture are classified as laments, grieving what we've lost, naming to God, crying out to God, saying, it hurts, I'm, I'm broken because of this loss that I've suffered. They were gifted to God's people in order to teach us how to pray our emotions and struggles back to God. They were given to us for a reason, so we, we know it's okay to pray and to take these emotions to God. Jerry Brashear says this, A cry to the Lord of distress, grounded in trust. We cry to God because we trust God. We're able to go to God with our sense of loss, with our disappointment and our grief and our, 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 our brokenness. We can go to Him. Why? Because we trust Him with it. He's not going to use it against us. He's not going to judge us for it. He's actually going to embrace and work through that. It's amazing when you look at the Psalms. Um, there was a little study that someone did just this week um, on one of my timelines where they studied and they looked at the, the, the top 25 songs sung in churches, all the Christian radio stations, the, the top worship songs. I won't mention all the bands. They took the top 25 most popular downloaded worship songs of the 2021. And in not one of the top 25 songs was there any questions asked of God. Hey God, where are you? Hey God, why are you doing this? Hey God, I can't feel you. Where are you? Or there were no mention of lament or grieving. 
It's almost like our songs that we're singing and that we're writing at church is almost avoiding pain and avoiding grief and avoiding even asking questions of God. Where in the Psalms, the Psalms that we read and we, we live off and we, it feeds our soul, two-thirds of them is grieving and lamenting towards God. They're not hiding. The psalmist David, our hero of faith, the man after God's own heart, doesn't hide his grief and his brokenness or his frustration or his lamenting before God. Listen to Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? When last have we sung a song where we ask God, how long is it going to take him? How long, O Lord, will you forget Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider it and answer me, O Lord. It's almost cheeky. It's almost blasphemous that David is saying, God, how long? Tell me, why, when are you, God of the universe, when are you going to give me an answer to my questions? Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Can you see what's happening in the psalm? On the one hand, he is moaning. Is that the word, South Africa? You're a moaner. You are grumpy. He is properly grumpy and angry and moaning at God and saying, you are taking your time and I'm not happy with it. That's what the psalm starts out with. But look how the psalm ends. Hey, I will sing songs. I will rejoice in your salvation. You have dealt bountifully with me. Is this psalm right? Is schizo? Is he schizophrenic? Is he bipolar? What's going on here? No, it shows that in our hearts we can have both these emotions and both be holy and okay with God. That God doesn't just expect us to come to church as the olden days we used to call happy clappies. Do you remember? Remember church used to be called the happy clappies because they're just so happy and they're always clappy and smiling. But God's also okay that when we come to church we can be real. You don't have to walk into church every Sunday putting on your best face and your strength and going, I'm strong, I've got this all together and I'm going to show you how I worship Jesus. It's okay if you walked in here this morning and you are completely frustrated and you are, or you, and you are stressed and you are broken and grieving the loss of income or work or job or family. It is okay to be in God's house and it's okay to even struggle to sing these songs to God. God knows and understands what it's like to grieve. God knows and understands what it's like to, to live in a broken world. His son lived amongst us. And our heart for doing this series is because we as your pastors and elders want us as a church to be healthy. Healthy spiritually and healthy emotionally. Not pretending, not faking it, not walking under the pressure of I better be good, I better be strong, I better not share where I'm struggling in my faith today. I don't want people to think ill of, of the kind of Christian that I am. No, we want to be real and authentic before God. And I think we avoid it in our songs and in our culture today. This idea of not ever asking questions to God. Maybe it's because, it could be because we're just so arrogant that we think we've got all, everything figured. Why ask God if I know the answers? <laughs> Maybe we feel that it's a, it shows a lack of faith by asking God. And we don't like admitting that we don't have perfect faith. Maybe we're just like so good at pretending that we know that we have perfect faith that we never ever want to just say, hey, I've got questions. We're all going to have questions about God and our faith until the day Jesus comes back. Then every question will be settled. 
every answer will be given. Or maybe we become so religious and superficial in church that, that it's a sin to ask questions of God. And we've forgotten that actually, no, no, it's okay to ask questions of God. It's okay if you have questions about God and His timing. If we sing some of the Psalms, for some of us, we, we avoid the Psalms because they're just too honest and too real. Okay, can we really still say that today? Can we still express our hearts towards God? The gospel is strong enough. God is loving and gracious enough to absorb our weakness and our brokenness and our grieving processes. We live in a culture, for me, that's becoming more and more plastic and, and positive, flaky fakeness. <laughs> Let's just be positive. Let's just have faith. Let's just go for it. And we don't deal with certain things. And maybe even today in church, you're listening to this, you're going, oh, I didn't come to church for this. I just want to, I need you to lift me up on it. Give me a motivational pre preach. or give, Tell me how everything's going to work out. Tell me that Jesus got me. Tell me that I'm more than a conqueror. Tell me that I'm going to slay my Goliath. Tell me I'm going to overcome honor. I'm going, yes, you can, but, but you're going to do it through Christ, not through your own strength or through some hyped up fake faith kind of positive gospel that's out there. Life can be hard and life is hard at the moment. And God gives us the freedom to pray and to, 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 to pray this way in the Psalms. And it, it almost teeters on irreverence, doesn't it? When you read the Psalms, you're going, oh, oh, how did God not strike him dead with lightning? How dare you ask the God, the holy God, these kind of questions about his timeline and what he's doing in your life? Well, if we understand that we're sons and daughters and that God is our father, my kids, when they were young, even now when they get older, they actually become a little bit more front-footed. My kids can ask me any question. They, actually, they honestly think they have the right to ask their dad any question they want about his, my behavior, my life, etc., especially when they grow in confidence and they grow a bit older. And it's uncomfortable. But they have that freedom because I'm their dad. They can ask these things. So just to recap our, our quick intro. And then we want to get practical. So this morning is going to be super practical. There's going to be a slide later that you might want to take a photograph on because it's going to help you process some of these things. So we've, we were made for Eden... We don't live there anymore, and all of this because of the loss and the death of because we don't live in there, we have to face and deal with. And it's okay. It's not bad or ungodly or anti-Jesus to, to grieve and to miss that. It actually is the opposite. The right way to respond to grief, grief and we're going to look at that this morning. And can I just say on this grief, I'm not just speaking of grieving your, your loved one that's passed away or that's no longer with us, or it could be the loss of a relationship, it could be a loss of an income or job, it could be a loss of health, it could be the loss of your dog, it could be a loss of, of a home, it could be, there's many losses that we suffer, we, 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 have to, we, we face those things in many parts of our lives. And there's a story in John 11 where Jesus, his friend Lazarus dies. John 11, 35, shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. Jesus, the Son of God, that had the power to raise his friend, knew that the resurrection is coming, knew it was coming, but still experienced the loss of his friend to the extent that he wept. We can be believers in the resurrection and that eternity is coming, but it still doesn't mean that we, we don't have to weep and, 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 grieve, um, and grieve properly when we need to. The words here, the Greek word for Jesus weeping, that one word, literally says Jesus is dry heaving tears in his pain. Dry, heaving peers, tears. And have you ever cried like that? Where you're not crying, but you're just broken because of this loss. And you can't even cry. Your, your tears 
there's almost no tears to come out because it's just, this is, I've, I've had that once in my life, I think, where I've ever cried like that. Where the loss and what's happened to you is so overwhelming that you can't even, your tear ducts are even dry. It's just your heart before God. And this is how Jesus wept before his God. Compare this Jesus weeping, driving tears in pain with the loss of his, of his, of his friend Lazarus that he knew the resurrection power is with him and will raise him from the dead. Still didn't stop him and prevent him from, from crying or weeping for his friend's loss. Can I talk about modern day funerals and memorial services quickly and gently? And this is, I want to do this gently because I'm learning this and I'm being challenged by this. Funerals used to be, can you remember funerals 20, 30 years back? Everybody wears black. They're quiet, hey? they're somber. There's significant amount of tears in the room, crying, weeping, sad music, solemn music playing. The moment is quiet and somber, etc. And as a as church and as society, there's a radical move away from that towards memorial services. And I'm speaking to honor because I'm this has been so challenging to me as a pastor. Memorial services where the language is let's celebrate that life. Let's um let's sing happy songs, don't sing low songs, dark songs. Let's put lots of colors in the room. Let's dedicate this time to, to remembering the good of that person's life. And a memorial is beautiful, and I think it's right. But it's concerning if we never ever pause to, to lament the loss of that person. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning to Jesus wasn't a small flippant thing, it was a significant thing. If you read scripture properly, you need to pull back some of the black and cry and wail and hit something sometimes. I don't know about you, but when I, when I lose something, even some sports games, I feel like hitting something. I'm so angry and frustrated. When you lose something dear to you, isn't that in you? Like you're just frustrated and angry and you want to vent at something? And Jesus goes to that place of pain and lets it wash over him. He, he doesn't avoid that pain. He doesn't hide the fact that he's weeping and that he's broken. And there could just be something in our society where, where we are avoiding the, the black suits or the, the somber, quiet moments of loss. We too quickly want to move into celebrating and joyful and happy and faith. And we haven't given our souls time to just, hey, we've lost someone that we really, really loved, yeah. And I'm guilty of that. I'm standing as your pastor saying to you, I'm guilty of that. I'm terrible personally when it comes to loss. You can ask Claire. Claire often will say, do you not cry on her? Like, do you just want to jump from, from loss to faith to, hey, let's get forward. Let's move forward. Let's, let's run to the celebratory part. And I know what it's like when you don't deal with that when it catches up with you inside. Because it is in there. That sense of loss is in every one of us. And if we ignore it or we think we can avoid it, it's going to catch up later with our hearts. And I'm guilty. I'm saying as your pastor, I'm guilty of that. I'm the awkward guy in the room when it comes to when it's too quiet, when it's too somber, when it's too, too heavy. But it's not too heavy for him. The embrace, when we embrace grief as a way 
in some ways we become more like God when we embrace it. <laughs> because God grieved when in Genesis 6. It grieved his heart. He was broken, sad, disappointed. You use all the words that you can add to grief. <laughs> Jesus wept, dry, dry tears, broken hearted because his friend died. I want to be like that. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm trusting God that he will allow me the freedom to be more like that. And not having to pretend to be something that I'm not or pretend that I'm not experiencing the loss or avoid facing those things. And the, the way that we often do this, whether it's a loss of a spouse or and I'm talking about marital loss, relational loss, any loss we deal with, it's amazing what happens as pastors we know. When people go through loss like this, the temptation is to become addicted to TV programs. Let's just watch all the Netflix things we can watch and hide from this loss and not face it. Or, or we go to sex. It's amazing what happens during divorce seasons or when people are going through divorce or loss of spouse, how sex becomes something that people run to and going, I can avoid my grief by, by going to another sexual relationship or, or alcohol is an incredibly powerful thing or let's just do church ministry. I know people that have, that have hidden their loss and their grief in, in getting busy for Jesus in the church. I've seen people do it with food. Like, let me just eat comfort food. If I'm feeling down, let's get that chocolate, let's get that cake, let's eat those whatever, bunny chow or whatever you want to eat. Um, or it could be just hiding it in, in physical exercise. Let me just go and run. Let me go to gym. Let me get f- super fit and maybe the, the endorphins will kick in and I'll feel better about myself. See, we all do that. I don't know what your, I don't know what your poison is, <laughs> but we all have ways of avoiding s- these brokennesses and grieving. It's, and I want to say to you, if you do this, you're not alone in the room. We all have those things. We all, when it comes to facing loss, want to hide and do... Oh, the temptation is great to go to these things, to try and make it go away. See, we are, in some ways, we are very allergic or allergic to loss and grief. And the many treasured or treasures buried within them. If you and I settle with our hearts that loss is, loss is hard, <laughs> loss of a life, a loved one, or relationship, is, it's difficult, it's not easy. Once we settle that, the, the treasures that God gives us in Scripture, that comes with it, when we go to God with our loss and our brokenness, and we go, God, this is difficult. This is more difficult than I'd like to admit, but I'm going to admit it this morning. I have questions about your timing. I have questions about why. I have questions about where were you. I have questions, are you even hearing my prayer, God? We grow in those moments. There are treasures in those moments. And we're allergic to it because we resist losing control. We love being in control of our lives. We love, we love the fact, and what happens when we, when we suffer loss is we realize we're not in control of our lives. And it scares us. It scares us as human beings when we discover that we're not in charge of our lives, but there's a God that is, and we have to trust Him. And I'm not saying trusting Him is scary. It is scary for many. But we are allergic to this loss and grief, and we are, it's endless. It doesn't stop until we face the fact of these things. And then secondly, we, we view losses as interruptions to our lives. We, we think that life should be perfect, and any loss or, or pain that comes across is an interruption, and we forget that we're not in Eden anymore. Like that's the, the difficult with some of the, some of the preaching out there, is that they're preaching as if life is always conquering, winning, successful, and growing, and they ignore the fact that we're not in Eden. They pretend like we're in Eden, we're not. We're in this broken, we're in the dusty side of it. We see losses as obstacles I have to overcome in order to mature in God. Or we see God, 
or God saw my losses as requirements for me to grow. We said as obstacles, God says, no, I need you to grow. You're only going to grow when you bring your losses to me. You're only going to grow when you bring your grief and your brokenness to me. And what happens when we don't? And this is what the, um, um, the one writer says, is losses are not, that are not grieved accumulate in our soul like heavy stones that weigh us down. When we don't grieve the losses that we've encountered properly and thoroughly before God, they accumulate. It's like putting, you know, when you, have you ever been on a hike and, and one of your friends, when we were teenagers, we used to go on a hike on the Transcar for like six days and then as a prank, your friends would every day would put like a rock in your bag and the next day you're going, geez, my bags, I've just had that food but my bag feels heavier and by the end of the hike, you get to the hike and your bag's got like five bricks in it or whatever and you didn't realize that your friends were, when we don't deal with loss and we don't grieve properly, we, those things stay. They don't go away. They don't just disappear. One day you're going you're gonna to realize that your life is carrying a lot of weight that it shouldn't be carrying emotionally. And when our pain and grief is, it goes unexpressed un, or unfelt, our hurts get buried alive. They, they don't go away. They, they're, just, they're there, but they're under the surface. Eventually this feeling and those feelings and those things that we've buried starts clawing back in our lives. And and they express themselves through depression, through anxiety, through a sense of emptiness and loneliness. We're going, this is really... And you go, where does that all come from? It comes from that we haven't faced up to some of the losses. We haven't gone to God just as we are. We've gone to God pretending and trying to be something that we're not. And in contrast, when Jesus looks, we looked at Jesus um, in week one, looking beneath the surface, asking the question, why am I feeling like this? Why am I experiencing this loss? Why does this loss feel so bad? <laughs> Why does this loss, why, lo- why does losing this friendship feel so bad? Why lose, does losing my health in this area lo- feel so bad? Why am I struggling? Why losing my income or my job or my career, it's, it's been taken from me. Why, does it f- why am I struggling so hard to take this to God? See, we think it's shrinking us. God uses these moments to grow us and to mature us. We used to say this, I remember saying this 15, 20 years ago, to young people when I was still a youth pastor 30 years ago, it's in the tough seasons that you're going to grow in God. It's in the, in the darkest valleys where you grow and you discover how faithful He is, how powerful He is, how He is with you, how He doesn't leave you. When life is well and all your friends and everybody loves you and everything is going well and you're not suffering loss, we don't need God. We're okay. We, that's Israel's story throughout the whole scripture. As soon as God blesses them, they go, hey, we don't need you, God. As soon as we go through valleys, and dark places, we, we, we know we need God. Okay, so here we go. Very practical. Ten ways or how to grieve well. And I'm going to just go through them. And this is very, very practical. And we're going to see this all through the gospel too. Firstly, see your loss. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not. But ask yourself the question, why am I so sad? Why am I still sad? Why am I still angry? You're wondering why you're sad. Then look beneath the surface. Remember? Oh, it's because of this. or, or it's be, it's be, See why you are sad. Ask the question of yourself. And maybe you want to go to your friend and say, can you help me see because I don't understand why I'm still sad or why I'm still broken. Number two, take it to God. In 1 Peter 5 or 7, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Meet Him in the pain. Don't hide from God. Go to Him. Run towards Him. Say to Him, this is, my, this is where my heart's at, God. Just even catching up with some of you walking into church this morning, understanding what life has been like over the last 18 months, 
I'm going to say, take those questions and those, those things to God. Don't hide. Don't pretend. He's not a God that, that does, hasn't seen you. He's seen your dirty nappies. <laughs> Number three, take it to your community. Don't grieve your loss in isolation. Get people around you with you. See, I will tell you, anybody, a life group leader will tell you, who've shepherded any number of people for any number of months or years, human nature, when you go through bad things, human nature wants to run and isolate. And that's the worst thing you can do as a person, is to break away from community. We're not encouraging everybody to get back to church because our egos need to see a full church. <laughs> We're encouraging you to come back to church because we know you'll be healthier and you'll be in a better place emotionally and spiritually knowing that your brothers and sisters are still there for you and that they care for you. So if you know friends, maybe today is my gap to do this, if you know friends that have not come back to church or fellowship, I think our protocols and our spacing is pretty decent. Do your work and bring those sheep that have wandered, that are, that are struggling on their own, bring them back into the fold. Anna and Sia and the elders and their wives can't do it. We all have to go and fetch our brothers and sisters that have isolated themselves through this season. And can I just say to you, watching preachers on TV and YouTube channels and listening to worship videos is not the church. Can we just settle that like for, for everybody? Like, is that okay? That's not church. This, yeah, these beautiful faces, these fantastic people, but also broken, sometimes frustrated people, angry people, questioning people, this is the church. Take it to community. Fourthly, slow down. Can I ask all of us to stop trying to hurry through your pain? <laughs> Can we stop pushing our friends to hurry through our pain? It might take me a month. It might take someone else six months to work through the same thing. Give them space and time. Slow it down. Grieving usually takes longer than we want. Most of us don't. Most of us are frustrated and agitated and think, I should have been over this. I should have been over this. What's wrong with me? Just give yourself space and time to work through it. Process it day by day. Number five, let God deepen your intimacy and your character. Count it all joy. James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of any kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God is producing something in you in this season. I want to encourage you. If you are going through some of the, the grieving right now and you are struggling, God is doing something in you. He hasn't stopped working in you. Sixthly, Watch out for temptation. We mentioned that just now. The primal appetites can ratchet up in these times. The, the very fleshly stuff that we need to, to find comfort in ratchet, ratchets up in our seasons of grief. And we mentioned again food, sex, um, money, gambling, alcohol, whatever those things are. When you're going through grieving processes, if you have a friend going through this season, I want you to get close to them. Because I can tell you Satan is going to tempt your friend to go everywhere but Jesus and everywhere but Jesus' people during this season. And it's our job to bring our brothers and sisters back into the fold and protect them. I know of a, a, an amazing Christian man, and when, when, the, when, the, when it all dawned on him, um, this is years and years ago, um, in, not even not in Cape Town, where he went through a divorce and got divorced, and he had four affairs in like three weeks with different women all over the place. He just The way that he dealt with with the, the loss and the failure of a marriage, was to go and have as many affairs as he could in three weeks and then sit down and say, I don't know what I've done, but that's where I went to. We have friends that do that with alcohol. You do that with gambling. You, you do that with other, other things or maybe even food, like I said. 
Watch out for temptation. Recognize that this is a time where Satan is going to have a go at you, and all those things are going to be ratcheted up. Seventhly, take take to care for you for the whole person, or take sorry, <laughs> take care of the whole person. Eat, sleep, exercise. Just do the normal small things well, and keep doing them. Practice gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. In those moments, find find the words, even not even the faith or the feelings, but just say thank you for for the small things that you appreciate. Nine, look for the good to come out of it. Out of every dark season comes a mountain. There's always something good. Um, Romans says, in all, things God, God, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. In every season I face, God is working good. There is good on the other side of the season of grief and ungrieving. Um, we, have to, we have a greater capacity to wait for God after this. We're going we're gonna to be more compassionate towards others that are going through it. So you're saying, I'm struggling, but, but maybe your struggling is going to enable you to serve someone else who tomorrow might be struggling with the same pain that you are. We're less covetous and idolatrous. Um, life is stripped and all the pretense and non-essentials are away. Now we realize, actually, this is who we are. Or we're liberated from having to impress others. Maybe we can just be, oh, it's okay to be not be okay. I, mean, I know it's a, like a cliche thing out there, but gosh, it's taken the church a long time to be okay but with not being okay. Hey, you wonder, you say, hey, Anna, we're not really into prosperity gospel, into this fake Jesus stuff. I promise you, there's more of it in our thinking than we think in modern church. This, we don't like sayings like, it's, it's okay to not be okay. No, no, no. That sounds too like weird and psychobabble and it's all emotional. Actually, that's part of who we are. Maybe we have fewer fears and a greater capacity. Maybe when God sees you through this, this dark, dark valley, you don't fear the next valley that comes. And you can take bigger risks for God because He sustained you through this. And you're going, hey, I can have faith. For, if God can answer this prayer, He can answer a, a bigger prayer. And we, so we grow in our faith. And lastly, the tenth one is don't forget the resurrection. Listen, I tell you, a mystery will not all sleep. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Hope is the absolute confidence in the coming kingdom based on the character of God. We have absolute confidence that we will be resurrected, that God is coming back for His church. And while He's not here yet, and He's on His way back, we are going to wait with faith, and we are going to wait, and we're going to take our hearts before, and we are not going to fake as if it's happened already. We're not going to fake it to make it. We, we're just not going to play that game. You've, I'm sure you've all heard that in um, Elizabeth um, Kubler-Ross came up with the five stages of, of grieving. I'm sure everybody's heard about this. It starts with a stage of um, denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression and acceptance. Then they later added a stage called finding meaning. Why did that happen? The big why question. It's, it's weird that it's taken them so many years to discover the actual question is why. <laughs> like, anyway, but now there's a sixth stage called why did this happen? The meaning behind it. And while that's very, very helpful and it's very, very true of human nature, that's almost like you would call a scientific approach. So what is Scripture? How does Scripture... What, is, what does the Bible say our process should look like? And Scripture describes three biblical principles to proceed or to process grief and sorrow in our hearts. Um, pay attention to our pain. And I'm going to read the statement just now. Pay attention to your pain. Wait in the confusing in-between space. And allow the old to birth anew. So I've put it in one statement. I said, Scripture encourages us to not ignore our pain to wait in those chaotic moments, and they are chaotic moments, 
We don't know where our heart's going in those moments of pain and loss. And to trust Jesus for the new to come out of this loss. Three things that Scripture calls us to. We don't ignore it. If we look at the Bible, read the Bible again maybe, and you'll see how the ancient Hebrews expressed lament dramatically and physically tearing the clothes and ashes and whatever. I get that we in the new covenant, but we still have those emotions. The new covenant of Jesus has not taken away all our, our brokennesses and our frustration with this world is not Eden. We look at Noah's generation and scripture indicates how God himself grieved in, in his heart towards this wicked world. God himself grieved. 35 chapters in the book of Job describes a man in anguish, angry, suicidal at times, depressed and bewildered. 35 chapters of Job describes a, a depressed, anxious, bewildered, suicidal person. It's in the Bible. <laughs> we, either we believe the whole Bible or we don't believe any of it. That's my take on the Bible. You either go all in or you don't go in at all. But we go all in. And we see that in Scripture. So see your pain, recognize that it's there. And then Jesus even. Jeremiah wrote an entire book called Lamentations. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lament. Face up to this loss and sense of loss. It's good because we know what, it's not supposed to be like this. Grief and loss and lamentation shows you and I that we know it's not supposed to be like this. It shows us that there's an Eden, there's an eternity coming. And this is not. It reminds us that this is not heaven. No matter how much money I've got, how healthy I am, how wealthy I am, how well I'm doing, how many people I have on Facebook that like me or follow me, none of that is going to ever smell and taste like heaven. It's always going to fall short towards eternity. And then just I want to say to you as your pastor, the second phase is to wait in this confusing in-between time. I've got some very dear friends in this church who've lost moms, brothers, family members, friends during the last two, three years. And I know through conversations just how confusing those moments and times are. You think you're through it, and then you realize one morning, whoa, it's back. I, didn't, I, I thought I've dealt with that emotion, and then the emotion comes back. And you think you're making way, and you're going, oh, no, I'm lost again. Or you think that this is the, and you go, oh, no, it's still there. Why does it still hurt? And I read this this week. God doesn't call us to wait because he needs more time. He calls us to wait because we need more time. Maybe you're waiting for what you're praying for and asking because God is not finished with you yet. He hasn't, he hasn't processed with you and worked in you yet. It's not because he needs more time. He's God. He could do this. So when you're in that season and it's confusing and you don't know what's up and down or where it's heading, just give God time. God's giving you time. Give yourself the space and the time. And what makes waiting so difficult for us is we're not quite sure where God is <laughs> or what he's doing or what is waiting at the other end. Hey, waiting is a, it's a weird thing. Hey, it's like, where are you, God? What are you doing? And when is this going to end? And when it ends, what's going to be on the other side? We, we just don't do that well. It's, I'm the worst. I'm the worst waiter in the world. Well, not waiter. Like, wait. Uh, I'll wait the worst. Ask Claire. It's a struggle to hide my, my birthday presents every year. And then lastly, just know that there's a new truth coming. And John 12, 24 says this. And, and this is the central truth of Christianity, is that Jesus died a real death. And this is, we're going to have communion now. And we're going to remind ourselves that Jesus died a real death on the cross and rose from the dead. He is risen. This is what enables us to affirm that our losses and endings are gateways to new beginnings. Your ending, your loss, is a, there's a new season coming. There is a, there is a new Thing coming. There's, God is doing a new thing. 
maybe not around you and for you, but in you, in you. And every difficult season promises that God is working and doing something in us. Let's turn to communion with, will you, Natiska, you can join me. When we read the Gospels, we have the most incredible example in Jesus. <laughs> hey, on week one, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was, my God, my, God, take this away. I'm stressed. I'm worn out by this. I don't know if I can get through this season. Jesus leads by example. I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> I want to be like Jesus. That, that, say, Father, would you take this cup from me? I can't do this. I'm sweating blood. I'm so stressed. And in the same breath, turn to God and say, not my will, but your will be done. I trust you. I want to be like Jesus, that not just dry heaves tears, but that my heart's softer towards brokenness and loss. That I don't try and pretend that everything's fine and fake it, just to prove that I've got lots of faith or that I really, really believe in God. I want to be like God who, when he sees brokenness and loss, it says, he grieved deep into his heart. His heart deeply grieved at what he was seeing. Christians, we should be grieving. There's, there are many things in this world that has been lost because of sin that should cause you and I to grieve deeply. R.E.M. sings a song, Shiny Happy People. That's cool. And there are moments and there are glimpses of that. But we live in a world that's not always shiny, happy, clappy, Front-footed. No, no, no. That's not the world. It's not a, the country we live in. It's not the city we live in. It's not the friends that you work with. They're not living in that world. Your friends and you and I live with loss every day of our lives. And there's something deep in us crying out for that to be restored. And Christ, to his word, in the garden, and God said, one day, Son of Man will come and crush the enemy. Christ on the cross crushed Satan. He crushed fake Christianity. He, he crushed religion. He crushed pretense. He crushed speeding up and feeling the pressure to perform before God. On the cross, Jesus crushed all of that. He was happy publicly before God to, as the Son of God, say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your Savior, Jesus, that we celebrate this morning, on the cross, echoed the words, God, where are you? I don't feel that you're with me. If Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> perfect man, perfect God, at the same time, could echo those words and not lose his salvation or his place as a Son of God or his insecurity, why can you and I not have the freedom in our hearts to express what's going on inside of us? And then we go, and then Jesus says at the end, he says, unto you I, pre I present my life, unto you I give, but this is your life. You have all of me. Jesus gave his all for you and I. You and I have the freedom and the liberty to bring all of ourselves before him. We don't have to hide parts of us. We don't have to pretend parts of us. We can come as we are before him. I'm gonna, we're going to break bread together. I'm going to pray. And then while they, they sing the song, maybe this morning we just do business with God where we are. If you're in the habit like me that avoid... <laughs> facing up to loss and avoid and, and kind of want to push through quickly, too fast. Maybe today is your moment to say, God, sorry, 
maybe you ask, why is it that I push through grieving so fast? Why is it that I don't want to go there? Why is it that I, I feel it's wrong to, to ask God questions? And maybe during worship, you can just answer that to yourself and ask God to, to help you. Jesus, thank you for your public ministry. It was public. We all saw it. We all heard it. We, we, we have record of what happened in the garden. We have record of what happened at Lazarus' um, bedside. We have a record of what happened on the cross. Publicly, you showed us even those moments where you struggled in your faith or you struggled and you grieved and you, you suffered. I pray that we as a church would become filled with faith but also full of confidence in the gospel and in Christ that we can bring ourselves as we are before you and trust you. As your body was broken, we, we bring our brokenness before you this morning. And as we eat of your brokenness, we, we trust you that you would heal us where we are broken today. And as we drink of this cup, we, we want to drink of your blood washing and, and forgiving us of our sins where we've sinned and not grieved before you, where we've sinned in pretending or where, we, where we've sinned in hiding where we've sinned in going to other means of grace, where we've, where we've given in to temptation in these moments, we ask this morning, would you please forgive us this morning? Let's eat and drink and, and celebrate Jesus together. Thank you, Lord.